This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, everybody? We are back. The Golden Edge Podcast. Adam Hill, Ben Goats. Here with you, letting you know everything you need to know in the Golden Knights world as training camp. I guess we're in we're in a weird spot now. We're ramping up training camp. We've got two more exhibition games at home. Getting ready for the regular season, but it feels like it's a long way away. It's not. It's right around the corner. So we'll get you ready. And Ben, first of all, you know what? There's big news to get into. Certainly, bombshell news last night. But how you doing, sir? You know, I'm not doing bad, despite yeah the uh, lack of sleep from last night due to said bombshell news. Yeah. Yeah, game and then news and then, you know, we're right back at it this morning. So Grind never uh, stops. Yes, we will tell you what the news was. I'm sure you've already heard, but Shea Theodore, restricted free agent, had not been in camp, not a holdout. We were lectured on that several times. Not a holdout because he didn't have a contract, but he finally does come through, uh, signs a deal, and there's a lot of there's a lot to get through here of what he wanted, what the team wanted. You know, what it means that he's back, who's going to have to go now, all those things we'll get into. But just first of all, your immediate reaction to hearing the news last night, Shea Theodore has signed a contract. I mean, my first reaction is George McPhee, I think, played hardball and won. So Shea Theodore signed a seven-year deal worth about $5.2 million annually. Uh, Shea Theodore's agents actually wanted a shorter-term deal, which I found kind of interesting. They wanted a two-year deal originally. The Knights worked them all the way up to a seven-year deal. And if Shea continues to develop the way that they think he can, this deal is going to be, I think, an absolute steal for the Knights. I mean, Shea still has a little bit to prove. He had a good breakout season last year. He's still only 23. He has a lot of good offensive skills. He needs to get better on the defensive end. But if he continues to progress the way they clearly think he will as a puck-moving defenseman, he's going to be worth way more than $5.2 million a year very, very soon. And that was the thought process for, for the Knights. I think they believe in him long-term. They wanted to commit to him long-term. They wanted to have him wrapped up under contract. And he believes in himself, and his agent believed in him, and they kind of wanted to make that bet of, we don't want that long-term deal. We want a two-year deal. Give us less money. We'll take a two-year deal. And then at that point, you know, he'll be on the verge of superstardom. He'll be ready to break out and have a massive, massive long-term deal. The Golden Knights were like, yeah, we kind of think that could happen too. So... We want to lock them up long term, and in the end, they win. They, you know, it's more money than it would have been on a shorter term deal. Certainly, not as much money as it'll be if he is the kind of player that he expects to be and that they expect him to be. So, it's a gamble for the team, but it certainly could be a huge reward if they've got a guy locked up for five point two million, who is one of the top defenders in the league, which they believe he could be. Absolutely. I mean, I think Shea was looking at a two year, three point five million dollar deal. Likely, yeah. that was kind of some comparables that were out there. And then I think if you're him, once you hit you know, free agency again at like probably 25 at that point, you could get $8 million a year. So yeah. I think 
I mean, you're looking, if that's a five-year, $8 million average deal that he could have been looking at, you know, the Golden Knights are potentially saving like, you know, $10, $12 million under the cap here. And not only do they save cap in the long term, but obviously in the short term, they get back one of their top defensemen last year. I believe he was second in ice time among the team last year. And now he's back in training camp. He is expected to be ready by opening night, according to coach uh, Gerard Gallant. And that's going to be a big boost for that blue line that has already been dealing with Nate Schmidt's suspension for 20 games. And now you get Shea Theodore back, and that's one less hole you have to fill on your blue line. Yeah, and the deal came together, you know, very quickly. We had, you know, there's not a whole lot that comes out, and that actually became a story a little bit at the press conference And that George McPhee really doesn't talk to anyone. So when there was not, and I don't mean that, he, you know, he's a jerk who just won't talk. Like, he's a guy who's very close to the vest. He won't talk to a lot of reporters. He won't let a lot of things out there. And, you know, Shea Theodore is with an agency that's one of the bigger agencies in hockey. They've, they've played the game before. They know how to get their message out. But at the same time, they really weren't talking a whole lot either. And so you had this, you know, kind of abyss of news uh, coming out about where they were. And, you know, there were some reports that at first Shea Theodore wanted a long-term deal. It turned out that was not true. We saw reports the other day that were accurate, that he wanted the short-term deal and the team wanted a long-term deal. But it's just one of those things that if neither side is talking, there's no way to get accurate information out of where they are, where they stand. So I think a lot of people just assume they were far apart. I think they might have been for a time far apart. But at some point, Shea Theodore looks at the situation. He doesn't want to miss the season. He doesn't have a whole lot of options. So he came to a deal. And I think it's a good deal for him. It could end up being, you know, he could end up being lower paid than he should be at the end of the contract. But I think for the most part, it's a it's a good deal for him. Could be a great deal for the team. Absolutely, and I think that's how you that's how you analyze it. Yeah, and we should mention this was a weird negotiation for McVie and Theodore because he was a restricted free agent, but he did not have arbitration rights. Right. So there was no sort of deadline other than basically the start of the season, and then there's a deadline in December where if he doesn't sign a contract, he can't play in the NHL, which obviously was never going to happen. He was yeah. going to play this season because that would tank his value. But yeah, there was nothing to really make the Golden Knights and George McPhee budge off their stance of, we want a long-term deal. I mean, Shea and his agents have really no leverage to push him down or try to get what they want. And so yeah. it's basically, it seemed like it was a staring contest for a while. And then McPhee said, you know, yesterday we were getting close to a six or seven year deal. And as you mentioned, during the first period of Monday's preseason game, they locked it up. Yeah, I wonder which side jumped, because I know, and, and this kind of relates to it, but uh, you know, Branstrom has been kind of the story. Eric Branstrom, a defenseman, 19-year-old, has been kind of the story of camp. Everybody's raving about how good he's been, a lot of flashy plays. Struggled a little bit in the first period. So I, was, I started to think yesterday, and actually much much throughout the game last night. Mightily throughout the game. So I, I, start, I was thinking, did the team watch that? And they were like, okay, he's 75.2, whatever you need. Let's go. Let's make this happen. Or did Shea Theodore's agent and Shea Theodore watching the game and saying like, Okay, it's an extra, you know, extra million dollars thrown on the end of that contract there after I watched that first period now. Did anything impact that? I don't think so. But I it's fun to it was, speculate. It is, it is fun to think that they actually got the deal done during the game last night, a game that Branstrom took a little bit of a back step in, in a lot of people's eyes. Certainly long term, nothing changed. But I think you looked at it and said, okay, maybe he's not quite ready to play defenseman every night in the NHL. Right, I think that's a thing where we – probably all just got too ahead of ourselves this is a 19 year old kid playing with the big boys for the first time in his life so of course he's going to have struggles last night I think it was just particularly acute because one maybe he was putting too much pressure on himself because going into the night 
the Knights had eight defensemen still on their roster. They were expected to bring eight into the season. So without Shea Theodore, the assumption is Branstrom and Bischoff had made the team, that is Jake Bischoff. And George McPhee acknowledged that after the fact at his press conference about the Theodore signing, that Branstrom and Bischoff were going to be on this team, yeah. except for the Theodore signing. And so maybe Branstrom put too much pressure on himself. It seemed like he was trying to do a little bit too much last night. Had a lot of turnovers, some really sloppy ones too. And he fell down once. He <laughs> fell on down. A power on. play that triggered a two on zero on the shorthanded side. Yeah, and that's the case where you just feel bad for the kid because it was just not his night. Malcolm Subban made the save there, so it worked out. But yeah. I mean, that's just a brutal sequence for a kid trying to make a name for himself. Well, it's a the kind of mistake in you know a turnover at the top. That's you know turnover at the top or just falling down or something that's that obvious. It's like it's it. A lot of mistakes don't really show up until you watch the tape. We were like. Okay, I saw what what happened there. Like you know, you can break it down. No, you pinched too early, or right, you should have right. made this pass, or whatever. Yeah, and so you don't really know that they made a mistake until later on. If you're watching tape and breaking it down, you're like, oh, okay, I see what happened and what what went on there. Those kind of mistakes you just are so glaring to everyone in the arena that they just really stand out. And he made a couple of those last night, so I, I think it was more clear to to you know to the naked eye without even waiting for the analysis of yeah, that was a, that was a little bit of a rough game. But again. He's a guy with such a bright future, and it almost it might work out better for him and for the team if he's not on the roster and he goes down and gets another year of seasoning in the AHL. To he might have been forced into action otherwise, and now he might be able to, you know, play it out. They like to overcook their prospects, as they've said, as opposed to undercook. Maybe it works out for the best that he can go down. Not that he's necessarily he still could make the team. Uh, it's really it looks like it's between him and Bischoff. But at least there's the opportunity now to, all right, maybe we need him down in Chicago for a while. Yeah, and this is a team where, you know, their goal is to win a Stanley Cup this year where you're probably less likely to tolerate rookie mistakes on a team where you are trying to win now. Where I think yeah. Jake Bishop, who, as mentioned, is the other guy kind of fighting for probably the eighth defenseman spot right now, is a little bit more steady. He does not have the upside of Brandstrom. Right. He does not nearly have the upside. He did score a goal last night, though, and – Looked okay. He wasn't great, I don't think, but he was okay. And I think he could provide more of that steady, you know, third pair or even a guy you kind of scratch pretty yeah. regularly. And that's kind of more of what his role is going to be long-term, whereas Brandstrom is not ready maybe to contribute right now, but long-term you think he's for sure a top-two pair kind of guy. Yeah, and I don't think they're in a position to need that flashy guy. They don't need a guy at that spot, you know, one of the last defensemen on the, on the roster to – to be a flashy playmaker, I think steady is probably the probably the the way they would lean if those are the options between the steady kind of older guy who's not going to make a ton of mistakes, uh, but it's just going to kind of be there and just be a guy to not screw anything up. And Branstrom might make a whole bunch of plays and then make some mistakes that lead to goals the other way. So I think they at this point they might be leaning Bischoff. I, I, that's what I would think going into the season. It'll be interesting because they both are obviously waiver exempt, so they both can be sent down with no penalty to the Knights. It will be interesting, and we can maybe transition to this early. Uh, Cody Eakin, one of their centers, is hurt. He's day-to-day with a lower body injury. We're not quite sure if he's going to be ready for the season opener. So that could also make it interesting if they need to carry an extra forward if Eakin is not ready to play right away. Maybe instead of exposing one of their depth forwards to waivers, they send down Branstrom and Bischoff and mm-hmm. roll with seven defensemen because, as I mentioned, you can send those guys down with no penalties, whereas some of the back-end forwards they have, 
if they cut them, they would risk exposing them to waivers. Yeah, I think we've been talking about eight, and we've been looking at eight because that's just what they've done. They've carried eight, and they said they were they will carry eight this year. Don't have to. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it is it is one of those things that we've kind of put eight as the number because they have they could change their mind. Things can change at all times. So that's certainly a possibility too. Um, you know, going forward because they've 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 got and as you mentioned, I think that's one of the things that's overlooked a lot of times. They've ha- they have the ability to send both those guys down without exposing them to waivers. They don't have to put them out there. And so the other guys, don't have, they don't have that option on some of the forwards. That completely plays into their mindset going into the, the, uh, the process of cutting down the roster. I don't think George McPhee is a guy who likes losing players for nothing unless he yeah. absolutely has to. And so, yeah, I'm curious is in his mind if he thinks it's worth it to keep, you know, potentially like Bischoff as your eighth defenseman, a guy who's not going to play every night. Versus, you know, a guy like Ryan Carpenter or Lindbergh, yeah. Oscar Lindbergh, who, you know, might be a depth forward that you use, you know, pretty regularly. And the, the last thing on Theodore, and you kind of referenced it already, but uh, they seem to have no concern. Gerard Galante had no concern about being ready for opening night. He's missed, you know, half of training camp. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the other activities as well. He's going up to meet the team on their retreat to Montana at Bill Foley's ranch. Uh, for the next two days, so team bonding. He'll be part of the bonding activities. Uh, he'll get to he'll get reacquainted with his teammates after uh, missing much of camp. Uh, but then they'll you know they come back Thursday, have a little bit more than a week of of practices and in two exhibition games to try to get ready. Any concern level on your part that he'd be ready? Galant said, "Hey, I know he's been skating. We've been talking to him and keeping up. He'll be fine." Yeah, I'm not super concerned about it. Would I be shocked if he scratched for opening night? Not really. But I do believe once you've been around the NHL a little bit, he'll have two preseason games to kind of get in. He'll have, you know, a couple weeks, a week or so of practice. I think that's enough for a guy who's already been around the block to get back used to it. I'm sure if you gave truth serum to a bunch of these guys and asked, asked like a guy like Max Pacioretty, how much time do you need to get ready for the regular season? He would say probably like a week. You know, I, t- right. I remember I talked to Derek England earlier in camp about this, and he's like, guys come into camp in shape now. Like, you no longer need training camp to right. get into game shape. We're all in shape when we arrive at camp, so it's not as necessary, all these practices in the preseason games, to get ready for the regular season. There we go. So defense is bolstered by Shea Theodore's return. One of the guys that thought they might be in line to make the team with the two absences could be gone. We'll see how they all get paired up and matched up and, and as they – get closer to the regular season here uh, with these last couple of preseason games. That's what that's for. The forwards are a different story. We know the first line forwards are, you know, they were kind of coy about it going into camp. Galant said, yeah, I mean, those guys played well together. We'll probably stick with them. First line is staying the same. The second line, they're, they're very coy about it again, but we think we know. Stasny on the center, Patrick on the left. Who's on the right side? That is the big question right now in camp. Absolutely, and they've been – auditioning guys pretty out in the open in the preseason games yeah. Saturday at San Jose they had Eric Howla play on the opposite wing of Stasny and Pacioretty and then in practice the next day and then in the preseason game Monday they had Alex Tuck on that wing so they've been pretty blatant about rotating those two guys in and auditioning them to see who's going to play with Stasny and Pacioretty and who might shift to the third line now I I thought from the beginning of camp it was going to be Tuck I, I thought from the time they acquired Pacioretty Okay, Tuck is going to be the guy on that line with them. I, I was kind of convinced of it. Now I'm, I'm kind of wavering. I think you know, I think they, it is a true audition. It's open. I don't think they've even decided yet. Uh, but I, I think Tuck just makes more sense there. 
I think he, I talked to him about playing with those two guys, and I thought he said something that was interesting. Like, I know my role on that line, which he's like, Patrick is an unbelievable shooter. Stasny's an unbelievable passer. And I think he knows it's my job to basically get in those corners, win the puck for those guys, and basically let them make plays. Yeah. And I think he showed that he can do that Monday against the Colorado Avalanche. He was, I think, really good on the forecheck. And uh, Pacioretty actually set him up with a really sweet pass that led yeah. to a goal by Tuck. So that line scored one of the three Knights goals in that game. And so I do think Tuck fits what that third line might potentially need in terms of that forechecker, whereas Howla is another kind of playmaker with a good shot and can still bring a little extra scoring punch to that line. But I'm interested to see if they decide that's what they need with Stassi and Pacioretty. And, and, you know, you mentioned Cody Eakin and his his injury. We don't think it's long-term. We don't think anything, you know, major is there necessarily right now. We'll find out. And that could change things as well. If the plan was to have Cody Eakin on the third line, makes sense for Hallow to slide back down and, and, you know, maybe center that line, I would think. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what their mindset is, but I think the, the Eakin injury, depending how long it is, could alter the mindset as far as who goes on the second line. Yeah, and Galan said it was nothing serious, but he also wouldn't definitively stay. He'll be Egan will be ready for the opener. Yeah. So it is an interesting dilemma. Do you put Hala back at center for you know maybe just a couple games to open the season where he can center a third line and you still have a playmaker at that position rather than maybe forcing up Ryan Carpenter or you know have Belmar anchor the third line. I think Belmar's ha- like a perfect fourth line guy. He's a perfect fourth line <laughs> yeah. guy. So I think it's more palatable to put Hala in that position. And like I said, I think Tuck fits really well on that second line anyway. But I would expect, even into the regular season, I would not be shocked if they're still rotating Tuck and Howla on that second line into the regular season. Yeah, I feel I feel like that's true. I, I, because I think it'll be more about figuring out who goes there. Because they, they still don't know. Like, you have plenty of tape on Patrick You've played against him. You've seen him a lot. You know that. But, you know, as Gerard Gallant says, you don't really know a guy until you see him skate every day. And you, you figure him out. And Stastny's new to the, the organization as well. So I think that they love what those two guys are going to bring together. They just really want to figure it out with the third guy. Camp is a good time to do that, but it's not the best time to do that. And I think you could see them go into the season of still figuring it out because they believe they're going to make the playoffs. They they don't think it's going to be, you know, you never know, but they don't think it's going to be like a real battle, an uphill fight to make the playoffs. They think they're going to be there. So really you just want to make sure your team is ready for the playoffs. Like you have to get there certainly. But you want to have the, your lines all figured out and ready to go, you know, a month before the playoffs leading up and getting there, getting ready to get into the postseason. So it's not really about being the best team opening night. It's about being the best team at the end of the year. That's what they're looking for. So I think it could be a work in progress for a while to figure out the perfect guy to go on that second line and then what works for the third line as well. Right. And I think there's just an extra level of analysis you can do in the regular season that you just can't do in training camp right. and the preseason. Like with a guy like Tuck, whose game is he's going to be hard on the forecheck and win pucks down deep, you can't completely analyze that in, for sure in training camp practices because guys aren't going hard. Guys aren't trying to check each other hard because they're on the same team. And in the preseason, too, you're not always going up against guys who are for sure going to be in the NHL this season. And even still, there might not be that extra edge to the physicality that there will be when points are legitimately on the line in the regular season. So I think there's just things that you have to wait to the regular season to figure out. And yeah, as you mentioned, they probably have can afford to do that because this roster looks ready to go to the playoffs. It's getting it's getting close to the regular season. Only two more games left, a couple of practices in camp, and then 
It'll be regular season time just around the corner. So we'll have one more podcast to kind of break that down. But what do you want to see in these last couple of games? What are you looking for? Because I thought, you know, the first couple of preseason games, which are games that Gallant has said they don't really care about. It's just about getting guys opportunities and get guys on the ice. They played really well, put up a bunch of goals. Yesterday they come home. It's the first game that Gallant said, hey, these last three are the ones that we really ramp up and get ready for the season. And I thought it long stretches, they looked very sloppy and, and not ready. So two more games. I don't think anybody's panicking or worrying about it. But what do you want to see in these last two games so that you believe they're ready for opening night? Yeah, well, the biggest thing for me to figure out is the Bischoff and Brandstrom battle. Who's going to win that? Who's going to look more steady these last two preseason games? Brandstrom has played every preseason game so far. I wouldn't expect that to change unless he gets sent down because they just need to get as many looks at him yeah. at the NHL level as possible. Likely same for Bischoff. I think Bischoff has only missed one preseason game so far. And kind of an under-radar thing I want to look at now is if they put Malcolm Subban back in net for one of these last two preseason games and how he looks because he was not super steady in net last night. He One of the last goals for Colorado was an empty net goal, so he only allowed four. But some of those were not great goals to give up. There was a tip right in front of him that he couldn't handle. And there's one where he just didn't cover up the puck and while the crowd is chanting Sue because he made a save, an Avalanche player just walks up and taps it in. <laughs> yeah. It was not a, not a pretty sight for him. And so just like we mentioned how Branson struggled, I think Subban for most of last night struggled, though he did have the nice save on the 2-on-0 when Branson fell he down. Had, I thought he had like three or four really impressive saves, but I think you're right. For the most part, it, it was a combination of like awesome saves combined with, wait, what was that? Like I think there was just a couple of... Uh, of lapses that overshadowed the, the great things he did, but that's what you need out of a goalie. You need to play every single shot is important, and you can't you know have a couple of lapses in there. It, it kind of completely overshadows whatever positives that you have for the most part. Uh, the position battles certainly are interesting. Certainly who wins the second line, uh, right wing spot. I, I think it's just more of a general, more of a general attitude. I think you're going to see a, a change. One of the things last night, and we didn't really know until after the game, and we just referenced it, like they're going on a retreat these next two days. So I think a lot of guys maybe already checked out, like, hey, we get a couple of days off from camp. This is going to be nice. Uh, so you didn't really know that during the game. And then after the game you find out and you're like, okay, maybe there was something there. Maybe there was distraction. They're, they're already thinking ahead to getting on the plane, going to Montana and hanging out. So maybe that explains it. So we'll see if things are cleaned up when they come back, play uh, Friday night, and then you know get ready for these last two exhibition games getting in to the big regular season finale October 4th T-Mobile Arena we'll be there we'll have it covered for you just like everything else certainly check out all of our, all of our Shea Theodore coverage all over the paper last night and on the website reviewjournal.com follow Ben Ben S. Goats up on Twitter got it there you go follow him follow uh, Dave Shane at David Shane LVRJ I believe I could be wrong just search him Dave, Dave Shane on Twitter just find him Adam Hill LVRJ for me and uh, certainly follow all of our coverage at ReviewJournal.com. For the Golden Edge Podcast, thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will talk to you again real soon. See you later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.